planet killer. Even now, these many long years after the resolution of the Gothic Sector Wars, when the details of even that most notable of struggles has passed from living memory and become perhaps in the minds of many just another terrible and glorious chapter of Imperium history, the name still evokes a shudder of fear and horror whenever it is uttered. I have heard tales that on worlds far outside the borders of Segmentum Obscurus, worlds where the events of the Gothic Sector War have little or no impact or meaning, the very mention of that name fills the inhabitants with an almost superstitious dread. I once met a wise and worthy member of the Missionoris Galaxia, who told me of his travels and adventures amongst some of the many savage and barbarous worlds within the vast and scattered diaspora of this mighty imperium of mankind, and of how the primitive inhabitants of one such world still kept vigil of the star-filled night skies above their tribal dwellings, praying to the All-Father, which my learned brother Adept told me was their term for the Divine Emperor, blessed forever be his holy name, to protect them from a particular terror which they called the Sword of Abaddon. How these backwards peoples, unaware of even the most elementary truths concerning the Imperium and their insignificant place within it, came to know of such things is a puzzle which we can only conjecture at, but my friend assured me that he had little doubt that it was the despoiler's terrible weapon to which they were referring. In coming to this, one of the darkest chapters of the history of the Gothic Sector Wars, when the true extent of the destructive power of the despoiler's terrible new secret weapon first became apparent to the beleaguered forces of Battlefleet Gothic, I am reminded of the missionary brother's story, and in particular of a fragment he recalled from one of the myth cycles that the inhabitants of that feral world had constructed around this cosmic terror. Their fear of it is evident, and I find the following couplet strangely evocative when considering the similar dreadful fear that must have filled the hearts and minds of untold billions of the Emperor's subjects at that time as the spectre of the planet killer stalked the worlds of the Gothic sector. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Scribe Amertius Rodrigo Conniger, from Into the Jaws of Death, Into the Mouth of Hell, Notable Actions of the Gothic Sector War, 143 to 149 M41. Part 3 Opening Salvos 1. Mesmerized, the despoiler watched as the planet below entered its final death throes. Its oceans had boiled off into space hours ago, laying bare the broken and dried expanses of once-hidden seabeds. Everywhere, bright lines of fire criss-cross the planet's surface. Rivers, lakes, entire oceans of molten magma flowing up through the gaping, bleeding rents in the planetary crust as the planet itself began to break apart. The whole southern hemisphere was ablaze, covered in magma, as the planet's molten heart bled out of the continent-sized open wound that the despoiler's planet-killer weapon had burned into it. Giant earthquakes shook the planet from pole to pole, forming and then reforming its burning topography into an ever-changing series of different fiery visions of hell. The planet's biosphere was gone. Its oxygen-rich atmosphere had ignited at the first firing of the planet-killer's awesome weapon systems, and Abaddon assumed that all life on the world was now extinct. Perhaps a few had survived the initial firestorms that had scoured clean the surface, hiding in shelters deep below the ground. But nothing could have survived the resultant seismic catastrophe, as the planet-killer's coruscating energy beams tore apart the planetary crust and ripped deep into the underlying rock strata, finally cutting through into the planet's molten core. Abaddon smiled, remembering other such moments of triumph, other such spectacles of destruction. 
He remembered standing by the side of Horus on the bridge of the War Master's battle barge, watching as wave after fiery wave of bioweapon missiles were unleashed at the surface of the world below them. Twelve billion people died in moments during the scouring of Istvan Free, and the echoes of their mental death screams had drowned out even the constant warp pulse of the Astronomicon. But it was only a prelude to the devastation to come. Let the galaxy burn, had ordered the War Master. And Abaddon and the other commanders of the Space Marine Legions who flocked to the War Master's cause had done as commanded. Abaddon remembered worlds in flames, planetary systems choked with the drifting wreckage left in the wake of cataclysmic space battles. Battlefronts thousands of miles long, as space marines and the towering war machines of the Collegia Titanica clashed with their one-time brethren on a thousand different worlds, under the light of a thousand different suns. He remembered the howl of triumph from a million chaos-altered throats as he, Abaddon, first chosen of the War Master, led the sweeping charge over the crumbled ruins of the outer walls of the imposter emperor's refuge on terror and into the sanctum of the inner palace itself. A tremor ran through the metre-thick ceramite decking beneath Abaddon's feet, reverberating with a dull boom throughout the armoured hull of the massive vessel and interrupting the despoiler's reverie. War master, bleated a hunchbacked heretic tech priest thing, shuffling forward to bow before the despoiler. The planet's core is beginning to break up, causing unpredictable and powerful fluctuations in its magnetic field. It paused, twin worm tongues nervously flicking out to lick at canker-eaten lips. It would be wiser to order the vessel back to a point beyond the area of damage. The despoiler hissed in irritation, his thoughts disturbed by the intrusion of the minion thing, now cowering at his feet. Sensing its master's mood, his sword shivered in its scabbard, eager to be unleashed and fed. Abaddon laid a reassuring hand on the skull-carved pommel of the sheathed weapon, soothing the mood of the demon thing bound into the warp-forged metal of the blade. Also sensitive to their master's moods, one of the hulking armoured figures of Abaddon's Terminator bodyguard stepped forward, crackling lightning claws sliding out with a low, buzzing sound from its armoured fists as it prepared to remove the source of its master's irritation. Another tremor ran through the deck, underlying the tech priest's words, and through the viewing port Abaddon saw a gout of fiery magma hundreds of miles long, spurting up from the burning surface and exploding high in orbit above the dying world. At a curt gesture from Abaddon, the bodyguard stepped back to rejoin the circle of silent warriors standing around the edge of the chamber. Whimpering in terror, the tech priest thing scampered gratefully away back into the safe anonymity of the surrounding shadows. Turning his back on the viewing port behind him, Abaddon strode into the centre of the chamber, his bodyguard effortlessly moving to reform in a protective circle around him. Tech priests, acolyte attendants, and mewling chaos spawn abominations scuttled out of the crushing path of the armoured giants. At another gesture from the despoiler, the central section of the floor of the viewing chamber began to descend down through the lower decks of the vessel. Abaddon's unspoken command was already spreading through the length of the massive planet-killer vessel, and as the open elevator platform rumbled downwards, those upon it could see the frenzied activity as the ship's crew hastened to act on those orders. Beyond, Abaddon knew, the crews of the ships making up his planet-killer's escort fleet would be doing likewise, their relieved captains no doubt offering up quiet prayers of thanks to the powers of the warp as they manoeuvred to move their vessels away from the violent and unpredictable death throes of the doomed planet. It was forbidden on pain of death for any of the vessel's thousands of slave workers to look upon the face of the despoiler, and, as the platform descended through the main crew decks, snarling overseers, rushed to assure immediate obedience amongst the work crews of prisoners under their command. 
already recognising the tell-tale sound of the descending elevator. Many of the slaves cowered in terror, gaze fixed at their manacled feet, and their endless slave work momentarily abandoned as the platform and the dread figure standing upon it moved past them. Others continued working, raising faces in silent question at the sound of the platform's passing, showing dark empty holes where eyes should be. Assigned to tasks where eyes were deemed unnecessary, these poor wretches had had their sight brutally taken from them by the hands of their overseers. One chain-gang member, his still-intact Imperial Navy officer's uniform showing him to have been only recently captured and enslaved into the War Master's service, either ignored or did not understand his overseer's barked warnings. Rishing a glance towards the platform as it rumbled past, he was quickly smashed to the ground by the figure of a slave master wearing the dripping, sigil-daubed power armour of a World Eater's Chaos Space Marine. Snarling in rage, the World Eater brought its chain axe up and in one swift blow summarily decapitated the screaming slave. With solemn ceremony, it reached down to pick up the severed head, holding it up in salute to the passing figure of the despoiler. The slave's dead eyes now permitted to gaze upon the sight that had been forbidden to them in life. Thus did Avedon the Despoiler, war master of the Legions of Horus, commander of the so-called Traitor Legions, as the servants of the False Emperor called them, pass through the midst of his followers, not caring whether they lived or died, not caring whether they served him through devotion, just as long as they served him first through fear. The platform descended through the roof of the final deck, entering a large dome-like chamber, its floor and walls hidden in darkness. With a grinding clank, the platform came to rest as the centrepiece of a larger platform that hung suspended on thick chains in the centre of the darkness. Abaddon stepped off, a phalanx of waiting tech-priests greeting him with deep bows and impassioned genuflections. "'Show me,' said the despoiler, in a voice as cold and harshly unforgiving as the vacuum of space. One of the tech-priests ran fingers centuries ago transformed into writhing, leech-mouthed tendrils over the crystal controls of a low console column. There was a dull roar of released power from somewhere within the walls of the chamber, and suddenly the chamber itself was gone, the darkness around them filled with a brilliant, slowly revolving pattern of stars, planets, constellations, supernova dust clouds, meteor fields, and a myriad of other celestial phenomena. After long hours spent alone in this chamber, brooding on the shifting star patterns, Abaddon knew this Hologram projected scene well enough by now. It was the Gothic sector, perfect in every detail, reproduced not merely in three dimensions but also in the fourth. With the arcane logic engine programs that sustain the projection able to take into account the unpredictable time dilation effects of the patterns of warp space, certainly pre-Imperium and probably non-human, Abaddon neither knew nor cared. The entire chamber had been looted from a drifting space hulk and reinstalled into the structure of his planet-killer command vessel. Abaddon gazed out into the depths of the projection, noting the latest received information on the status and position of both his own warfleets and those of the enemy. Portmore was a blaze of blue-marked Imperium-controlled worlds and fleet markers, although the War Master noted with satisfaction that the clustered ring of red markers surrounding it showed that the home base of Battlefleet Gothic was still under intense and crushing blockade. Constellations of red and blue Warfleet markers faced off against each other, Fred the Gothic Sector, giving little hint of the devastation each such confrontation represented, as the rival Warfleets laid waste to each other in bitterly fought battles that would decide the fate of so many strategically vital planetary systems. Abaddon's gaze found and traced the emerald route patterns of enemy transport convoys, 
making the dangerous runs between the supply worlds and the frontline battle systems. The markers of elite Chaos Hunter killer vessels, which shadowed them through the warp, appeared as burning crimson points of light, while the ghostly indigo markers of the Wolf Pack pirate fleets, allied to the despoiler's cause, lay in wait at points all along the convoy's routes. Elsewhere, Abaddon noted with displeasure the riot of blue markers spilling out of the Aura subsector, pushing back the tide of red in that portion of the map. Bien Moore also stood out as a bright and growing point of enemy resistance, while most of the Cyclops cluster appeared as a haze of dark shadow, standing out in stark contrast against the rest of the projection's fine detail. A lone marker denoted that part of the Gothic sector to be orc-infested, and so far the unexpectedly high levels of savage resistance shown by the creatures to the Imperium and Chaos forces alike had thwarted the Despoiler's attempts to even properly map the region. And then there were the six glowing gold markers, spread more or less evenly throughout the Gothic sector. Abaddon's eager gaze returned to these six points again and again, repeating their names inside his head like a guilty secret, like a hidden mantra, the meaning of which only he could fully understand. Fularis, Anvil 206, Fear, Ridu, Schindelgeist, Brigia. We await your orders, War Master. What is our next target? We have prepared a list of the nearest strategically important worlds still under enemy control. Abaddon's urgent hiss of displeasure instantly silenced the upstart, who quickly retreated back into the milling ranks of his fellow acolyte officers. The glowing weapon sensor beams of the despoiler's bodyguards tracked him as he went, marking him out for later punishment. Fools, thought Abaddon, closing his eyes and clearing his mind of all distractions. This vessel is a powerful weapon, yes? But fear is the greatest weapon at our command. With this vessel... We shall sow fear and confusion without measure amongst the enemy. For with it we shall strike at random and without seeming purpose. They shall not know where the next blow will fall. And in their fear and confusion they will not see the greater hidden purpose behind all that we have done. Let there be no lists, no predictable strategic choices. Let only the random whims of the powers of the warp guide us in our actions. Abaddon opened his eyes, gazing out at the shifting star patterns as they slowly revolved around him. He raised his arm, pointing with one cruel metal talon at a bright mass of stars. At the gesture, the projection slowed and finally stopped, one star amongst the constellations suddenly glowing brighter than its companions. The tech priests hurriedly made adjustments to the crystalline controls, and the projection's focus narrowed and zoomed in on a single star. Suddenly, the image of a planetary system filled the void of the viewing chamber, the focus shifting further to find and close in on one planet in particular, orbiting within the system's primary biosphere zone. Nauron's lips curled back in a cruel smile of expectation as he saw blue oceans, lush greenery, and the obvious signs of a breathable oxygen atmosphere. Half the world was in shadow, as the planet's rotation carried one hemisphere away from the sun's light and into the hours of night. And Abaddon could see the tell-tale twinkle of lights, each one an entire city, scattered across the face of the darkened globe. Looking closer, he saw patterns of smaller lights, orbiting space docks and weapon platforms, drifting in the void between the world and its one barren satellite moon. An inhabited world, an imperial world, and one far from both the nearest war zone and the planet killer's most recent choice of target. Once again, the guidance of the powers of the warp had served him well. Tech priests bowed in silent acquiescence, realising their master's unspoken wishes. Already, the name and location of their next destination were being relayed to the rest of the fleet. The inhabitants of the now-doomed world could not possibly realise or understand it yet, 
but the hour of their appointed execution had just been set. Abaddon watched eagerly as the tech priests returned the projection to its original sector-wide settings. To his chaos-altered eyes, those six small points of gold light stood out like blazing supernovas amongst the other beacons and markers of the Gothic sector. Fularis, Anvil 206, Fia, Ribu, Schindelgeist, Brigia. Again, he repeated their names to himself, the silent promise to a future only he could yet see. Let the galaxy burn, the Warmaster Horus had said. And now at last, after ten thousand years, Abaddon the Despoiler would soon have the means to fulfil his master's command. Chapter 2 Clear! The shouts echoed up the streets and alleyways, accompanied by the sounds of splintering plasty wood as heavy booted feet kicked down doors and smashed through makeshift barricades. The wretches that inhabited these warrens cowered in fear as the intimidating, armoured figures of the Adeptus Arbites troopers forced their way into their homes. Curses and complaints were met with bone-crushing blows from shotgun butts or fists encased in heavy armoured gauntlets, while centre points of any stronger shows of resistance were pacified with choke gas grenades hurled through doorways and windows. Marshal Primus Jamal Byzantine watched as another group of choking, coughing figures emerged from their gas-filled den to be met by an impassive line of rebreather-wearing Arbites troopers armed with crackling power mauls and suppression shields. The survivors would be herded into a manacled procession for transportation back to the arbitrator's local precinct fortress. What happened to them there was of no immediate concern to Byzantine. Each of the fortress's cavern-like detention levels was crowded with thousands of heretics, criminals, malcontents, and troublemakers taken from the regular sweeps of the crime-infested rat warrens of this world. And a suspect could spend the rest of his life in such captivity, living and dying amongst the brutal convict gangs that invariably formed under such conditions, before his case was ever called before the Court of Judgment. It was of no consequence that the great wheels of imperial justice moved so slowly, just as the lives of those crushed beneath them were also of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. All that mattered, the senior arbitrator knew, was that in the end justice was seen to be done. He raised a hand to his face, running his fingers over the patterns of tribal scarring that marked the dark skin of his cheeks, feeling the sheen of sweat that covered his face. He reached up with both hands, removing his visored helmet and shaking free the beaded locks of his sweat-matted hair. The members of the Adeptus Arbites must always appear to the Emperor's subjects as the stern and faceless guardians of the Emperor's law, the Articles of Justice commanded. But it was the middle of the day, during the world's hot, dry season, and Byzantine had no wish for the Emperor's subjects to see their world's senior lawkeeper collapse from heat exhaustion. And have a grand victory for the rule of the Emperor's law, grunted his deputy, Court, beside him, handing his commander a water flask as he watched the troops under his supervision brutally and mercilessly subdue the prisoners. Byzantine said nothing. If any other man under his command had voiced such an opinion, he would not have hesitated to have had him disciplined at once. Court was a fine arbiter and a loyal servant of the Emperor, and should have attained the rank of Marshal Primus himself by now. But sometimes Byzantine was glad that the big hive-worlder's habit of speaking his mind too freely ensured that he could always count on having such an able and dependable second-in-command at his side. The fifth Marshal Secundus Court, said Byzantine, in tones of mock reassurance. Remember that it is the duty of the mighty Adeptus Astartes chapters and the glorious Imperial Guard to wage the Emperor's wars, and the duty of the fearless Imperial Navy to guard the Emperor's spaceways. But it is to his loyal servants, the Adeptus Arbites, that his divine majesty, in his infinite wisdom, entrusts the most sacred duty of all. Keeping in check the lawless heretic rabble that passes itself off as the Emperor's worthy subjects, Smile Court, completing the familiar old precinct house joke. It was a welcome moment of levity 
in what had so far been a long and arduous operation. All day the arbitrator squads had been methodically searching through the maze of beggar district hovels and workhouses that festered in the shadow of the rock of the regent's palace. The planet, Bellatis, and its capital, city, Medina, were far from the battle lines, but even here the effects of the cataclysmic war raging throughout the rest of the Gothic sector were keenly felt. Like the rest of the rear echelon Imperium worlds, Bellatis had been bled dry to provide manpower and material for the war, and Byzantine knew that many of those captured in the round-up today would end up as press-gang recruits in the warships of Battlefleet Gothic or fighting in the new penal regiment detachments that the Adeptus Munitorum was forming to replace the horrific losses amongst its Imperial Guard armies. He knew also that there was no chance that any of those arrested today would ever see their homeworld again. From the command rhino transport nearby came crackling bursts of Voxcaster traffic, as the Overarbeiter squads deployed throughout the area reported in their progress so far. It was wearying, thankless work, Byzantine knew, conducting a street-by-street, building-by-building search of this worst of old Medina's many crumbling and crime-infested hab-districts, where every kicked-in doorway or uncovered hide-hole could reveal Emperor only knew what kind of threat or trap. They had swooped down on the area in force, columns of Arbiter vehicles rumbling out of their precinct fortress to surround and seal off the beggar quarter in the hours before dawn. It was a show of imperial strength of the kind that Pilatus had not seen in generations. Almost the world's entire Arbites force mobilised to throw a ring of steel around a whole section of the planet's capital. It was a swift and brutal reminder of the presence of the Imperium here on Bellatis, not just for those caught like rats in a trap within the Arbites circle, but also for a select few outside it also. Byzantine glanced up at the sheer face of the towering rock escarpment that hung over the rest of the city, wondering just how many pairs of eyes were now staring down at him and his men from behind the latticed windows and terraces, of the palace citadel built atop it. If Byzantine had wanted to stage a show of imperial strength, he could hardly have picked a better place than here, right under the noses of the local planetary overlords. As if on cue, the arbitrator manning the Command Rhino's Voxcaster equipment signalled to him, For you, Commander, First Security Minister Kale. Byzantine nodded reluctantly, and took the offered Voxcaster handset, sharing a look with Court. For his part, Court noisily cleared his throat and spat its contents onto the ground, at the mention of the name of the Governor Region Security Advisor. Emperor's greetings, Minister Kale, said Byzantine, barely attempting to keep the disdain out of his voice. My men and I are busy administering the rule of the Emperor's law, so you'll understand that I have little time for interruptions. Emperor's greetings to you too, Marshal. The voice on the other end of the Voxcast was smooth and unperturbed, and Byzantine could imagine the eminence Greece figure of First Security Minister Jara Kale sitting in his high-vaulted office in the palace, possibly watching the image of Byzantine on the vista plate on the desk in front of him, as it was beamed to him from any of the so far undetected spy drones that Kale had undoubtedly deployed to monitor the administrator's search. I have just spoken with His Majesty, the Governor Regent, and he too shares my concern regarding your decision to go ahead with this operation without informing this office of your plans. I answer to the Divine Emperor, Minister Kale, said the Arbites Marshal. Not to the governor regent of this world or his security minister. However, in this instance, I did not see it as uh, necessary to inform you of my decision. You are aware of the recent increase in the Munitorum's demands for manpower for the valiant forces of Battlefleet Gothic. As senior Imperium official on this world, it falls to me to decide how these demands are best met. A mass press-ganging of the criminal rabble of the Rook district would seem to be in the interests of both Gothic Sector Command 
and the Emperor's loyal and law-abiding subjects here on Bellatis. Yes, and if your security force of local imbreds had done its job properly, Byzantine added with his own unspoken thoughts, then criminal refuge ghettos such as this would not have been allowed to fester unchecked right here in the heart of your capital. A pause, and then the First Minister's voice sounded over the Voxlink, its tone unchanged by the arbitrator's criticisms, either those spoken aloud or merely implied. None have a greater wish to serve the Emperor or his appointed servants more than I or the Governor-Regent, Marshal Byzantine. Now, our only concern is that we were not informed of the press gang operation early enough to allow our own security troops to also take part in it, should you require them. Emperor knows. I wouldn't want to call your planetary security force away from their normal duties of racketeering, collecting bribes and intimidating the Governor-Regent's political opponents, Byzantine thought sourly to himself, as he keyed open the Vox-cast handset to respond. My thanks for your generous and loyal offer, First Minister Kale. The next time such an operation becomes necessary, I shall be sure to advise you in advance, so that we may properly pool our respective forces. Byzantine abruptly cut off the link, looking up to see the knowing half-smirk on the face of his deputy. You think he believed you? asked Court. I don't care, growled Byzantine. Just as long as we keep him and his hired thugs out of here until we've accomplished what we came here to do. The Marshal Primus turned to survey the scene around him, seeing only the low-level mud-brick dwellings and buildings that made up the vast extent of the Rook. Each building merged into the next, built without plan or purpose and interconnected by a twisting intestinal labyrinth of passages and blind alleys. Byzantine knew that the maze system extended inside the buildings too, with holes knocked through the walls between many of the dwellings, so that it was possible to travel under cover through the entire area, entering a building at one edge of the rook and exiting another again on the far side of the place. The rook was not unique. Areas such as this festered on every even halfway civilised world within the Imperium, and as one of the Emperor's appointed lawkeepers, Jamhal Byzantine knew such areas all too well. Breeding grounds for criminals and troublemakers, refuge for outcasts and fugitives, bolt holes for renegades and heretics. The operation to clear out the Rook and round up press gang recruits for the Imperial Navy was real enough, Byzantine knew, but it was also a convenient cover for the real purpose of the Adeptus Arbites' presence here today. The Gothic Sector was under attack, not just from the war fleets of Abaddon the Despoiler, but also, and more insidiously, from their allies within the many heretic cults that secretly thrived on almost every Imperium world within the Sector. When the conflict was over, the cruel attentions of the Inquisition would descend in force on the Gothic Sector, but it was now horribly apparent that the enemy had spent years laying their plans before launching their sector-wide assault, and that agents of the Dark Powers had infiltrated far into the governments and planetary defence forces of many Imperium-controlled worlds. At the outbreak of the war, as the Despoilers' war fleets burst out of the Ark's Gap to fall without warning upon the forces of Battlefleet Gothic, Abaddon's allies and followers within the secret covens of Chaos worshippers had also come out of hiding at their master's bidding. Chaos-inspired uprisings and rebellions had occurred on more than two dozen worlds, drawing away vital forces and resources from the main war. More than one coven-controlled world had fallen to the enemy without a shot being fired. And if their populations considered that they might merely be exchanging one set of oppressive masters for another, they would have realised their terrible error as soon as the dark shapes of the first Chaos dropships fell out of the skies from the orbiting warships and they saw the faces of the things that were to be their new overlords. On other Imperium worlds, these cults remained in hiding, 
waging guerrilla war against the imperial forces of the Gothic sector, sowing fear and dissent amongst the population, sabotaging military and industrial installations, infiltrating all available imperial forces and giving secret aid and information to the enemy. And spreading, always spreading. Once the chaos contagion took root amongst the world's population, it all too often presaged the loss of that entire world to the light of the Emperor. Yes, thought the Marshal Primus, the merciless judgment of the Inquisition would cut like a scythe through the ranks of the local planetary governors. Ecclesiarchy invigilators and administratum officials of the Gothic sector once this war was over, for it was their laxity and failure that allowed such heretic cults to first exist undetected and then thrive and spread unchecked. But not here, not on Bellatis, not on Jamal Byzantine's watch. Although it was not one of the front-line systems, Bellatis was abundant with natural resources and supplies vital to the war effort. Adamantium ore for the diamond-hard armoured prows of the mighty warships of Battlefleet Gothic, unprocessed Promethean fuel for the war machines of the Imperial Guard, and plentiful grain and meat exports for the guards' legions of hungry troops. It was not the greatest, nor the most populous or strategically important world within the Gothic sector, Byzantine knew, but like every other of the million worlds within the vast, galaxy-spanning Imperium, it belonged to the master of mankind, and for that reason alone was worth defending, or dying over, the grim-faced arbiter fought, Remembering the oaths he had sworn thirty years ago as a cadet in the Adeptus Arbites training collegium on Anderton's world. To serve the Emperor, to protect his domains, to judge and stand guard over his subjects, to carry the Emperor's law to all worlds under his blessed protection, to pursue and punish those who trespassed against his word. To enforce the rule of Pax Imperialis. Byzantine had only recently begun to suspect the presence of agents of the Dark Powers here on Bellatus. There had been no reported acts of sabotage, no discoveries of secret heresies, no attempts to undermine the authority of the Imperium, but still he felt the presence of something lurking here, close but unseen, hidden but waiting. His truth-seeker psychers too felt it, reporting strange fluxes in the warp, disturbing patterns that hinted of some vast and calamitous event that was yet to unfold. Like their calm before the storm was how one troubled senior Primaris adept had attempted to describe the phenomenon to Byzantine. Like their calm before the storm, thought the Marshal Primus, surveying the scene as his arbitrator's squads continued their sweep search of the area. The psycho-seers of the Adeptus Arbites could provide him with no more information about this potential looming threat, but Byzantine had other sources of information available to him. Sources that, as one of the stern-faced guardians of the Emperor's law, he trusted and understood far more than the visions and prophecies of any witch psyker. He had a network of spies and informers within the dregs of Bellatus's criminal underworld, and it was not long before he heard the first whispers of secret gatherings somewhere within the confines of the Rook. If there was a coven of chaos worshippers here, he was confident that his men would find it. Byzantine looked at Court, who had been monitoring the incoming Voxcast reports. Court shook his head in response, already knowing what his commander would ask. Nothing yet. Just the usual rabble of lawbreakers and malcontents, most of them hardly fit enough to make the grade as the poorest quality press gang fodder. Van Dyer's teeth, we could spend a week raising this stinking sump pit to the ground and still not find what we're looking for. Perhaps not such a bad idea, Arbiter Court, said Byzantine, sharing his deputy commander's grim humour. But let us hope it will not come to that, at least not yet, he added, after a considered pause. Byzantine turned towards the open hatch of the command rhino, directing his next comment to the figure sheltering there in the cool shadows inside the armoured vehicle. Truth seeker Shalo! What help can you give us? 
The Adeptus Arbites Psyche reluctantly emerged into the harsh glare of Bellatus's midday sun, taking care to properly adjust the protective goggles covering his weak, pink-hued eyes. Psychers were mutants, Byzantine knew, and even those few tolerated by the Imperium and judged strong enough to withstand the lure of the powers of the warp without undergoing the agonising soul-bonding ritual with the mind of the Emperor carried with them some physical mark of their difference from the rest of humanity. Shaolo was an albino, a fact that would have undoubtedly have assured him to have been killed at birth back on Byzantine's own savage and unforgiving homeworld of Skya. Skya was now half a lifetime and several thousand light-years away, but Byzantine still felt uneasy in the presence of Psychers, even if this one was a brother arbiter. Nothing so far, Marshal Primus. It is possible that they could be using a null shield or some other trickery to hide themselves from my senses. Shallow abruptly broke off, looking up in confusion and flinching as he saw two arbitrators just about to break down another doorway further up the street. Byzantine was already moving, the finely honed instincts that were part of his barbarian warrior ancestry, picking up on the feelings of fear and alarm now emanating from the psyche. Even before he knew why he was reacting, Byzantine was already halfway across the street, drawing his bolt pistol and calling out in a warning that he already knew would come too late. The doorway exploded apart as one of the arbitrator's heavy, reinforced boots came into contact with it. The explosion was not as large as Byzantine had feared, but the screaming arbitrators were instantly enveloped in a spreading cloud of sickly ochre mist. Talk bombs! Reprievers on! bellowed Byzantine, as the faint, dry season breeze carried the first trails of the deadly mist out into the street, revealing the bubbling remains of what only seconds ago had been two human beings. Caught on the edge of the spreading cloud, one man, one of Mahan's junior troopers from Precinct Tertius, Byzantine recognised, screamed, coughing up blood matter as he fumbled with the release catches of his rebreather mask. The men caught in the booby-trapped doorway had died almost instantly from the catastrophic effects of such close and concentrated exposure to the tox bomb's virulent contents, but the virus weakened as it dispersed, and at this range, it would take the troopers minutes, long, agonised minutes, to die as the virus spores multiplied like wildfire within his body, causing his body to rot apart around him. Byzantine didn't hesitate, shooting the dying man through the heart, silently intoning a few words of the second litany of the Emperor's mercy as he pulled the trigger of his bolt pistol. He was suddenly aware that there was gunfire all around him. His helmet's vox link crackled with shouts of alarm and the broadcast echoes of the same sounds of gunfire. He cursed to himself in the guttural tongue of his homeworld. An ambush, with the detonation of the tox bomb as the signal for it to be sprung. They had come seeking the hiding place of a suspected coven of chaos worshippers, and instead they had been lured into an ambush. He heard the drumming boom of an auto cannon opening fire, saw a burst of its high-caliber shell scythe down the length of the street behind him, catching one of his arbitrators and scattering him in bloody pieces against the mud-brick walls of the surrounding buildings. On the roofs! They're firing down on us from up on the roofs! shouted an unidentified voice in warning from over the voxnet. Byzantine looked up, seeing a dark figure on the low rooftop above him, perfectly silhouetted against the bright Bellatus sky. Byzantine raised his bolt pistol, firing instinctively. The figure folded sharply, dropping heavily to the ground in front of the Arbites Marshal. Byzantine glanced in revulsion at the dead thing that lay in the dust before him. He saw the fingers fused into curled claws, the glowing tattoo shapes that writhed with a life of their own beneath the thing's greasy, translucent skin. Here was all the proof he needed to know that the foul taint of chaos had indeed touched this world, and in far greater strength than any would have ever have dared fear. If mutation as severe as this could have remained undiscovered and unchecked for any length of time. 
The sound of gunfire continued. The stuttering chatter of crude heavy stubbers and auto rifles built in local crime den workshops. The high-pitched crack of las gunfire. But interspersed amongst it, Byzantine heard the welcome and distinctive blast roar of Arbites' shotguns as his troopers rallied from the initial shock of the ambush and began to return fire. But again came the heavy drumming of the autocannon as it blasted a deadly accurate burst of fire into the pinned-down arbitrators, sheltering in cover at the end of the street, adamantium-tipped shells cutting indiscriminately through flesh and mud-brick cover alike. There was a fiery blast as a lucky or well-aimed shell found the engine of one of the Arbites' rhino transports, quickly followed by the voices screaming in terror and pain as the vehicle's fuel cells exploded, immolating the Arbites' squad sheltering inside. From the lee of the building wall where he was sheltering, Byzantine could see the autocannon firing from an open doorway beside the one where the tox bomb booby trap had been planted. From this well-protected position, it had a clear field of fire right down the street. Byzantine ripped off his rebreather mask, cursing in fury as he activated his voxed cast link. Good! We're being massacred! Bring up your grenade launcher teams to deal with that autocannon! A difficult target, Marshal! They're well dug in, and you're too close. There's as much chance we'll eat you as destroy them. Then cover me instead! Byzantine spat, getting to his feet and reaching for one of the heavy frag grenades held in one of the pouches of his harness belt. Understood, Marshal! Stand by! came his deputy's calm-voiced reply over the Voxcast. Byzantine launched himself forward on cue, hearing the reassuring blast roar of Arbite's shotguns from behind him as Court and his squad opened fire at the rooftop snipers. Byzantine ran through the hail of sniper fire, spotting a flurry of movement at the periphery of his vision and looked to see dark cloaked figures moving around the inside cover of a nearby alley mouth. He ducked just as a volley of gunfire erupted from the alley, stitching the mud brick wall behind him with bullet holes and smoking las blast marks. He fired back, keeping his finger on the trigger of the stuttering pistol and sending a burst of lethal bolt of fire into the darkness of the alleyway. Two of the figures crouching there vanished in a sudden red spray. He kept running towards the coven-guarded doorway, seeing one of the chaos cultists manning the autocannon point to him in sudden alarm. The barrel of the autocannon swung round towards him as its operator started to draw a bead on him. A hidden sniper's las shot scored a burn line across the plasteel of one of his armoured shoulder pads, cutting through the layers of woven polysilicate, impact-resistant material of his uniform, to sear the flesh underneath. Ignoring the pain, aware only of the deadly threat of the autocannon barrel now gaping straight at him, Byzantine hurled the grenade through the mouth of the doorway, where it detonated scant seconds later killing the chaos cultists clustered inside. Byzantine jumped past the wreckage of the autocan and its crew, unsure whether the twisted limbs and gruesome, bloody redesigns of human flesh that he glimpsed there were a result of chaos mutation or merely the work of heat blast and razor-sharp shrapnel burst. Wearily, the Arbites commander stepped into the darkened room beyond the doorway, bolt pistol in one hand and power maul in the other. His fingers touched the sequence of activation runes on the haft of the maul, and the energy weapon crackled into life as he brought it up to near full strength setting, its energy aura bathing the abattoir scene inside the room with a flickering blue light and revealing vile-looking sigils and runes daubed on the walls of the place. The painted marks seemed to actually writhe and retreat along the rough surface of the walls as the light touched them, and with a lurch of revulsion, Byzantine understood them to be blasphemous symbols in praise of the dark gods of chaos. A number of doorways opened off from the room, one of them leading to a crude downward sloping passage. A faint current, shockingly cold compared to the heat outside, drifted up from the darkness there, carrying with it the scent of something rotten and foul. 
Byzantine instinctively notched the crackling power mall up to a higher energy setting, just as a crowd of black-cloaked figures exploded out at him from the other doorways, screaming sounds of animal hatred at the arbiter as they attacked. The bolt pistol in his right hand sounded loud in the confined space of the room. Balter shells shredded open the chest of one cultist, tore off another one's leg at a point just above the knees. They fell to the ground, still screaming as they died. The bolt pistol clicked empty and, with a feral curse, he threw it into the snarling face of the next chaos cultist. At the same time, he swung the power maul in his left hand, its energy-haloed mace head cutting a fiery arc through the air. At its lower normal settings, the weapon's energy field could knock out an opponent with one blow. At the higher settings, it pulverised flesh and bone into bloody jelly. Byzantine's first blow struck one of the Chaos Cultists across the head, shattering it in a spray of bone and brain matter. His second blow came down on the next opponent's shoulder, cleaving down through his ribcage and destroying his chest cavity. Byzantine hauled on the weapon, pulling it free of the dead cultist's body just as another screaming maniac threw himself at the arbiter. This one's mouth gaped horribly open, his mutant jaws distending wide to reveal a mouthful of needle-fanged teeth even more deadly than the serrated knife blade in his hand. Byzantine smashed the fist of his now empty right hand into the cultist's mouth, feeling the mutant thing's fangs break under the impact. Unable to bring his power maul to bear, he swung out clumsily with his other arm, partially blocking his enemy's knife thrust, deflecting the lightning-quick attack away from his exposed throat and into the armoured gorget collar around his neck. The creature bucked wildly on top of him, its strength inhuman. It gnashed its broken-toothed, blood-foamed jaws, trying to chew through the tough material of the gauntlet and into the meat of Byzantine's hand. At the same time, its other hand locked around Byzantine's throat and it pressed forward, using its body weight to pin him down as it began to saw its knife blade through the armoured collar and into the flesh of his neck. A heavy booted foot crashed into the creature's face, sending it sprawling. A shotgun blast lifted the thing up from where it fell, two more dumping it in the corner in a ragged, bleeding heap. Help the Marshal Primus, commanded Court, his combat shotgun spitting scattershell shots with deadly accuracy into the remainder of the Chaos Things as they retreated back into the darkness and away from the Arbitrator squad now crowding through the doorway from the street outside. Byzantine shrugged off the gauntleted hands that helped him to his feet and bent to retrieve and reload his bolt pistol. He looked questioningly at his deputy. Twelve dead so far. The worst of it was in the street outside, said Court looking around the chamber and glancing with distaste at the sigils daubed on the walls. They caught us by surprise at first, but after that we soon got the measure of them. Nothing but heretic rabble and scam. Mahan, Shear, uh, Bartomelio and their squads are chasing down what's left of them now. Court kicked with disgust at one of the dead mutant things lying at his feet. It would seem that the Marshal Primus has found what he was looking for. The whole nest of them. Byzantine nodded grimly, indicating the entrance to the subterranean passage. Bring up looks, lamps, flamers and power shields, grenades too, as many as each man can carry, and find truth seeker shallow. We'll need his help if we're going to flush out the rest of these abominations. Chapter 3 Cornered, and with nowhere to run. The servants of Chaos made the Arbitrator squad fight for every step of their long and bloody descent into the dark. Heedless of their own survival, they threw themselves forward into the face of the Arbites guns. Flechettes, scatter rounds and solid shot shells from the Arbiter's shotguns ripped them apart as they charged forward, but those that followed on behind clambered over the bodies of the dead and dying to get at their enemies. At other times, they held back, firing incessantly up the passageway at Byzantine and his squad as the Arbites troops crept forward behind hand-held power shields, 
the Imperium troops depending on the shield's humming energy fields to protect them from the withering hail of fire coming at them from out of the darkness. Five times they came to junctions or sudden turnings in the passage. Forewarned by truth-seeker shallow psychic senses, they were able to avoid the ambushes waiting for them at these dangerous juncture points. Flamer bursts and hurled handfuls of frag and choke grenades cleared out side passages, flushing, burning and asphyxiating figures out of hiding and into the gun sights of the waiting arbiters. Shotgun launched salvos of special heat-seeking shells, called executioners amongst the Adeptus Arbites, were fired whenever they came to a corner, the tiny Adeptus Mechanicus devices buzzing off into the darkness in search of their targets, followed split seconds later by screams of pain and the sound of multiple detonations into human tissue. Quickly advancing round the corner, Byzantine and his men soon finished off any who had survived the executioner shell's deadly bite. The Arbites' own progress down into the depths was not without loss. Arbitrator of the second-rank corner, who had served by Byzantine's side since the marshal's quelling of the inmates' rebellion aboard the prison hulk Carrion, had his throat torn out by an auto-gun bullet that had pierced an overloaded and failing power shield. Minutes later, during the clearing of a side passage, a mutated female cultist, ablaze with flamer-ignited Promethean, had run straight into their midst through a hail of bullets, her burning and bullet-riddled body propelled onwards by hatred and insane devotion to her demon lord masters. She threw herself at Proctor Sergeant Tylan, enfolding herself around him in a deadly embrace, and wrapping him in a blanket of flames that covered her own body. Nothing could break her furious hold on the screaming, burning arbiter, and so the two of them had died together in another hail of shock and fire, as Tylan's comrades sought to spare him a slow, agonising death amongst the flames. It was another fifteen brutal and bloody minutes, minutes filled with the roar of Arbites' shotguns and the shrieking screams of the Chaos Cultists, before the Imperium lawkeepers fought their way down to the passageway's terminus. Byzantine kicked aside the corpse of the last Chaos Cultist, some kind of priest leader, judging by the robes and the horribly intricate tattoo markings on the deceased and rotting skin of his face, who only seconds ago had tried to eviscerate him with a wild chainsword swing, and stepped forward to enter the chamber beyond. Beware, Marshal, warned Shallow, the albino truth-seeker's face looking haggard and eerily ghost-like in the flickering light of the lux lamps. I sense the presence of the powers of warp in this place. Byzantine motioned to the arbitrators flanking him, indicating for them to spread out and cover the entire chamber with shotguns and flamers. He repressed a shiver of superstitious dread that rose up from the depths of his barbarian soul. He feared no enemy of the Emperor, but the war-born horrors of chaos made him feel like one of his primitive feral world ancestors, crouching together for mutual protection round their cave-mouth fires and listening in fear to the cries and screams of unknown beasts prowling the darkness beyond. Powerful looks beams scanned the walls of the chamber, revealing more of the blasphemous daubings on the rough stone walls, walls that had been carved out of the living rock long ago. The place was perhaps some kind of ancient smuggler's hideaway or outlaw bolt hole, thought Byzantine, not wanting to dwell on the alternative possibility that Chaos Cults may have been thriving here on Bellatus since the time when this place was secretly excavated centuries ago. Throne on Earth! exclaimed Arbitrator of the Third Rank Mines, as the beam from his lamp revealed the thing hanging in chains on the far wall. It was human, Byzantine realised, although it was only through his understanding of the savage and terribly new shapes that combat and all its forms could reduce the human body to, that he was able to recognise it as such. Byzantine had taken part in his share of interrogations, but torture at the hands of the Adeptus Arbites was a simple and brutal affair, designed to break the body and will of the prisoner as quickly and efficiently as possible. In contrast, 
Byzantine knew that the Inquisition employed specialists who had been versed from childhood in the countless methods of inflicting pain and suffering, and who considered torture to be almost an art form. Perhaps these madmen, in their wildest fantasies, could have imagined the thing that now hung before the Arbites squad. It was the human form re-sculpted, a body turned inside out, but still, somehow, following a semblance of its original shape. Reformed flesh flowed over reshaped bones, sinews, veins and musculature, twisted in complex new patterns over the skin that had once covered them. It was an abomination in flesh, no doubt left hanging here by the cult, either as a sacrificial leftover or as some kind of gruesome altarpiece before which they performed the obscene rites and ceremonies demanded by their demonic masters. Shallow suddenly staggered back. Byzantine caught the truth-seeker just as he started to collapse, seeing the blood shockingly red against his chalk-white skin pouring from the albino's nose, sensing the sudden oppressive change in the atmosphere within the chamber, feeling the first droplets of blood drip down his own face and onto his lips. Masha! choked the psyker, his voice contorted in pain. Masha! Beware! echoed a voice from nearby, its tone thick with mocking irony. Byzantine heard a clink of chains, and when he looked up, the thing on the wall raised its twisted head to grin back at him with malicious pleasure. Yes, beware, it said from a mouth that should form no words, from a body that could hold no life. Beware, little lackey, faithful little servant of the false weakling emperor. The gaze of the despoiler has fallen upon this world and all it contains. Pray to your weakling emperor for salvation. Seek protection behind your fleets of warships. What do you look like? Better to kill yourself now. Better to kill each other than face the fate that descends on you from out of the warp. The Chaos Oracle Thing's voice was rising to a gleeful shriek ectoplasmic slime spraying from its malformed lips. Byzantine found he could not move, could only stand and stare at it in horrified fascination as it thrashed wildly against the confines of the chains pinning it to the wall. Kill yourselves, kill your comrades, kill your children. Better to die now than wait for the shadow of the executioner to fall upon you all. Caught was the first to act, raising and firing his combat shotgun. The weapon's harsh roar was a catalyst to the others, breaking the spell the demon thing's presence had cast over everyone within the chamber, and they too raised and fired their weapons. The thing hanging from the wall shrieked in perverse pleasure as its body was torn apart by the volley of shotgun blasts, thrashing madly and cackling in demonic joy, even as Byzantine took hold of one of the flamers and enveloped it in an all-consuming wave of fire. He continued to play the jet of flame over the oracle thing's body long after its flesh had melted from its bones and the last echoes of its insane laughter had faded away. <laughs> the remains of the thing lay smouldering on the ground, fused and unrecognisable. Despite its destruction, none of the arbitrators dared go near it. Court looked to his commander. Marshal, what orders? Byzantine handed the flamer to one of the arbitrator troopers, seeing another one reach down to attend to the unconscious figure of Shallow. Burn it, he ordered. Burn it all. Use melted charges. We'll collapse the passageway behind us when we leave. Nothing must remain of this place when we are gone. And after that? asked Court, the big hive-worlder trying to subdue the note of uncertainty in his voice. Byzantine laid a reassuring hand on his second-in-command's shoulder. After that... Old friend, we prepare to face whatever it was that thing was speaking of. And there we go. That's the end of this part. Part three. Apologies for the delay for those uh, watching in current time. It doesn't matter, I guess, if you're watching in the future, because this would have been the past. Anyway, um, interesting little side note for those of you who are interested, and those of you who might remember, uh, there was a... Gordon Reaney wrote uh, one of the sort of more interesting sort of like really creepy and weird and harsh and like dark uh, comic books, uh, uh, Warhammer Monthly, the old comic book um, 
oh god, I'm, what am I saying? He, he wrote a comic book uh, back in the day, a Warhammer 40k one, like a, a comic strip, a short one, uh, where it was like um, an STC, an AI, one of the original AI was still alive in this vault. It had been trapped, and this guy, this Byzantine, for some reason, I'm not too sure why, but anyway, he used the character again for that. He's the guy who's leading the arbitrators who enter this this vault. Um, maybe it is the planet, actually. I haven't got it to hand. It might be this Pilates planet, which would make more sense, I guess. He's used the whole... He's, he's used the character he's made completely. But anyway, it's the same character, at least, who leads the uh, the, the the exploration of this, this ancient vault that's been uncovered and uh, also throws all the plasma grades in it as they're running away. Or maybe he's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's a tech priest that gets stuck with him. I forget. Anyway, that's worth looking up. I'm just ranting now. I'm going to stop ranting. The next one will be coming soon. Now, due to the nature of this book, it isn't laid out in your normal traditional chapter-by-chapter sense. It's in sections, and within each section are different chapters, depending on how long the section is. Some of them don't have any. They're just one long short story sort of thing. But they're all in sequence. It's all one mate. It's all one whole novel. They're just in different sections. I think it's because they were probably originally intended to be short stories. Um... But for whatever reason, I think some of them were actually originally. At least the first two were actually probably short stories in uh, Inferno magazine, the first iteration of Inferno magazine. And then he's done these other bits afterwards. And they've crafted it into a novel, basically. But yeah, Gordon Reed is a great guy, really interesting writer. There's this novel and there's another one that links afterwards. Um, so we'll see how things go. I'll probably do that one as well if there's two of them and they're all sort of the same series. But yeah, I'll be back again with part four soon. Luckily, it starts with chapter four of this section. So there's another, I mean, basically, yeah, the number, in, the page number doesn't really make sense, does it? Anyway, each of these sections will be an hour, an hour long or thereabouts. I'll aim to make them an hour long or thereabouts. Uh, so yeah, thank you for your continued support. Please do like the video, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. And uh, if you'd like to support the channel, please consider using one of the means down below, becoming a supporter some way, YouTube or on Patreon or on, on Subscribestar or, you know, anything. I really appreciate it. Anyway, it really, really helps. And um, yeah, it really helps. Anyway, I'll be back again soon, very soon. And uh, oh yeah, and share if you know anyone you think might like this. That really helps as well uh, with the algorithm and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, thanks very much. Cheers. I'll be back again very soon with the next one. Quicker than this one. Oh, it'll be It'll be soon. All right, bye-bye. Ta-ra.